This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organization. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. This is Erin Jones, and um, we've got a really exciting show today. Uh, as anyone who's um, been following the news will have seen, there's been a massive announcement in South Australia with the announcement that the Port Augusta Solar Thermal Renewable Energy uh, project is going to go ahead. So that is enormous news. So that's something that um, we've managed to sneak into today's program, and we've got some comments um from Dan Spencer, who's been a huge part of that, um, keeping that Repower Port Augusta project in the public light and putting pressure on um, the government to follow through with that. So we're really pleased that we can have Dan on the show. Uh, and also we're talking with Vanessa Petrie, who's the Beyond Zero Emissions CEO. And Beyond Zero Emissions were quite instrumental in getting, um, you know, doing some of the research that really supported the fight for a solar thermal plant to be built at Port Augusta. So that's great news. We're also talking today about renewable energy targets, um, and we've primarily, we've, we've got um, Simon Corbell um, on the line, and we're going to chat with Simon a little bit later in the show about his role as the renewable as the Victorian Renewable Energy Advocate and some of the work that he did in his previous role with the ACT government um, about how they implemented reverse auctions as a mechanism to really get renewable energy off the ground and work towards those targets. So we look forward to having a chat to Simon about that. So a great day for the renewable energy sector today with the announcement of... Um, this plant to go ahead at South, in South Australia. We might go straight to Dan because I know he, he's got a lot of other commitments and um, just hear what he's got to say about it. We're really excited. Um, we've got Dan Spencer on the phone, listener, and Dan has been one of the driving forces behind the Repower Port Augusta project. So it's massive, exciting news to see that today the announcement of a solar thermal plant at Port Augusta has come through. So Dan, how are you? Thank you. And, um, yeah, thank you for everyone who supported the campaign over so many years at Beyond Zero Emissions and to your listeners as well. It's, it's really exciting day for Port Augusta in South Australia. We've, um, the state government committed to 
uh, backing building solar thermal, which uh, means it's going to go ahead. Um, solar is ever going to build a 150 megawatt solar thermal plant with eight hours of storage in Port Augusta. And, yeah, it's just huge news um, and I think sends a message across the country of, of what's possible with renewable energy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Where are you today? Are you um, Have you heard much response out of Port Augusta? Where are you geographically? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Adelaide. I um, uh, had the opportunity to uh, head along to the press conference today and going up to Port Augusta tomorrow where we're going to be holding a big community celebration and the Premier's going to attend. And, um, yeah, had the opportunity to speak to some locals already who are over the moon about this, um, people like Gary who, who worked at the power station for 17 years. You know, this is his dream to work in a solar thermal plant and um, now this is, you know, with this announcement that hopefully can come true. Yeah, fantastic. And, um, you know, talk of 700 jobs, um, so that must be a huge uh, boost to that local community and uh, they've been kind of not knowing what's going on for a long time but have stayed strong in the fight to get this off the ground, haven't they? Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, the community stood behind this for so many years, and you know, with the closure of the coal station, people didn't give up. Um, they kept going and kept fighting for this, and today, um, it's it's finally happened. So, yeah, it's it's a huge testament, I think, to the power of the community um, taking action together. Um, not just you know the locals in Port Augusta who did so much, but people around the country supported this, and I think yeah, we're really really grateful for that. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, look, congratulations. Um, I know that you've been a huge part of this personally and all your team, so uh, we can't wait to see it get off the ground and we'll look forward to keeping up with the progress as, as things move along. But an exciting day for Port Augusta today and renewable energy more broadly in Australia. Absolutely. Thank you um, so much, Erin. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. We're really excited, listeners. There's been an announcement today that Port Augusta um, and the construction of solar thermal is uh, going to go ahead, which is really exciting news because this is a project that BZE has been involved in pretty much since its inception. And we've got on the line Vanessa Petrie, who is the BZE CEO. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, Erin. Well, how are you? Good, thanks. This is great news, isn't it? It's incredible and it just really highlights and celebrates the power of community leadership and um, congratulations to Dan Spencer and the repairing Port Augusta team. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really wonderful and BZE was um, part of that team that you know did that early research and uh, and kind of creating that whole repower Port Augusta report certainly and, and the um, collaboration of community groups that have worked on it have really... Um, Illustrated the community the power of community coming together, isn't it? Yeah, and it's you know it's it's um, a great example. You know, in 2010, of course, our stationary energy plan put forward that concentrated solar thermal um, could be part of the power mix that could get Australia to 100% renewables in 10 years. And then, of course, in 2012, we collaborated and produced the repowering. Port Augusta plan that really um, built on our stationary energy plan, so really bringing together the solid research to, to demonstrate in a report that this is possible um, and it's supported and seen its way through um, to today, just incredible. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of people in that community that are really, um, you know, 
enormously excited and relieved that um, this activity is going to happen in their town after after losing a lot of the employment associated with you know the historical coal generation that happened there. Yeah, absolutely, and that's um, what the you know the South Australian government has recognised that this project will deliver more than seven hundred jobs um, for the for the state and the region. Just just so important. Mm, exactly. Well, look, um, it's great that BZD's had a had a role in this, and um, we congratulate all that are involved in in getting it to this point because it's been a real continued effort for for a long number of years, but. Um, this goes to show that uh, you know those messages don't fall on deaf ears if they're consistent and, and keep on going. So we're really happy to, to hear about that development today, and we thank you for your comment, Vanessa. Absolutely, thanks so much, Erin. Bye bye. Bye. You're tuned to 3CR on your end If you just tuned in to 3CR Why would you stay listening and listening a while Feeling shortchanged by all the doom and gloom of climate change and want to help? Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. At BZE, we have a blueprint to help Australia become a thriving zero emissions economy, but we are dependent on public donations, so we need your help. To donate or find out more information, head to bze.org.au. That's bze.org.au. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. Really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. So with our really exciting um, news there of the construction of solar thermal in Port Augusta and um, we spoke to Dan Spencer from the Australian Youth Climate Coalition who's been a really big part of that project and that's been great to hear that. So just to recap that what's going on there, there's going to be the con- a construction of a 150 megawatt plant, the biggest of its kind in the world, and this will be delivered by Solar Reserve who have done a number of these plants, particularly on the west coast of the United States, amongst other places. It's going to be a $650 million project which will begin in 2018 and it's estimated to be completed by 2020 and looking like delivering around 700 jobs which is an enormous boost to um, not only the local community in Port Augusta but um, the broader South Australian economy and I'm sure there will be people from all over the place um, who come to, to work on that project. So that's been really exciting news today and it's great to see the South Australian government continue to move along and uh, 
help make renewable energy a real possibility. Um, well, it's not only a possibility, it's an actuality happening. There's going to be, for those in South Australia or who want to get there by tomorrow, there's going to be a community event in Port Augusta at the Central Oval between 12 and 1pm, which which Dan mentioned about that local community celebration. So for anyone that's in the area, um, I'm sure it'll be a very exciting day down there in Port Augusta tomorrow. So now we're going to have a chat with, um, as I mentioned, Simon Corbell, from uh, who is the Victorian Renewable Energy Advocate. So, and we're going to talk about some of the projects that are happening, um, and he, and that Simon's involved in in getting more renewable energy rolled out in Victoria this time. So it's an exciting day all around for renewable energy. And let's get on to chatting with Simon now. Listeners, we're very happy to have on the line today Simon Corbell. Simon is an honorary associate professor at the Australian National University and is the Victorian Renewable Energy Advocate. So welcome, Simon. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Simon, we're going to talk a bit about the role and uh, what um, what's involved with that and, and what's going on around um targets for renewable energy in Victoria and we might also get your comments on um, what's happening elsewhere but uh, you've had a long history in this type of work, you were involved in the ACT government for many years and were pretty instrumental in the work that's happened there around um, targets towards renewable energy and the reverse auction methodology that's helped get some of that off the ground can you explain to our listeners Exactly. What's what is a reverse auction, and how that was a mechanism to work towards um, renewable energy targets? Yes, thanks very much, Erin. And the ACT was very successful in using a reverse auction mechanism to drive uh, the uptake of its 100% renewable energy target. A target I'm pleased to say the territory is well and truly on track to meet by the year 2020. So a reverse auction is basically a form of tender. Uh, what it involves is uh, renewable, in this case, renewable energy developers bidding a price uh, for the renewable energy that they will generate if they are successful in the auction. Uh, and if uh, the price is accepted by the ACT government, then a long-term contract is awarded to that successful bidder uh, and the uh, renewable energy developer can secure off the back of that contract uh, the finance they need to get a large-scale solar or wind renewable energy generation plant built. So it's uh, effectively a form of tender, but the strength of the reverse auction program is that you can build in a range of criteria that include price, but also look at other factors such as economic development outcomes, community and social engagement outcomes, technical and financial capacity to deliver and those criteria all brought together with an analysis of the price uh, allow you to support large-scale renewable energy projects that are value for money, deliver affordable electricity for consumers but also deliver the other outcomes that in this case the ACT uh, was uh, seeking to achieve. 
Yeah, fantastic. So really, you know, um, it's kind of like a futures contract then, which gives security and obviously then would flow on and allow those developers to access financing and et cetera because they've, they've kind of locked in their, their price up front. It's, would that be a correct analogy? Yeah, that's a very good way of explaining it. So the reverse auction was the mechanism to award the contract, but the contract itself was called a contract for difference. So mm-hmm. basically it's a guarantee on the part of the contracting party, in this case the ACT, to pay a certain price for the electricity that's generated. Uh, if the bid price from the developer is higher than the wholesale electricity price, then the ACT guarantees to pay the difference. If, however, uh, the wholesale electricity price is higher than the bid price from the renewable energy developer, then that's effectively a credit to the contracting party, the ACT. And what we've seen with a number of the projects that have been contracted by the ACT government, such as, for example, the Hornsdale Wind Farm in South Australia, is that for a large part of the last 12 months, that wind farm has been delivering credits to the ACT, which really means that the wholesale electricity price was higher than the bid price for that project, and Canberrans were really being paid for the renewable energy that was being generated from that contracted wind farm. Fantastic, and presumably that... um you know they've done their their figures on um, on that bid price, so that's still a viable project for the developer. Well, clearly, if they uh, are receiving a wholesale electricity price which is higher than their bid price in the auction, then yes, they uh, are clearly believe it's a financially viable proposition. If they get paid more on the wholesale electricity price than they would from the ACT bid price, then they're, they're well and truly ahead in terms of their finances. So they make those assessments about what the risk is, what the up, potential upside is in terms of electricity prices. The contract for difference really means that there is a reliable, bankable price that is going to be paid to that renewable energy developer and that allows them to get the finance they need to build their projects. And that's why the ACT scheme was so successful, a long-term contract uh, with a, a strong... Uh, AAA credit rated counterparty mm-hmm. and it's why other schemes such as the Victorian Renewable Energy Target are now using this methodology because it's a way to deliver cheap, affordable finance to get renewable energy projects built because all of the cost with renewable energy is in the upfront construction yes. side uh, of the project not the operating costs of the project which as we know, are effectively free because of the resources that are being harnessed. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on now to talk about um, your role as a Victorian renewable energy advocate. Um, the targets uh, that Victoria is looking at is, as you mentioned, so 25% by 2020 and then moving fairly um, rapidly to 40% by 2025. So how do you see, um, you know, your role and, and obviously those are some of the key goals and um, I've been looking through the Renewable Energy Action Plan that the government's put out and obviously your role was um, was one of the initiatives that forms part of that and to kind of progress this work along. Um, but can you tell us a bit more about the Victorian plan and, and your role in it? Sure. So the uh, Victorian government, as you said, has stated 
stated some very strong goals uh, to move to large-scale renewable energy generation for the state, 25% by 2020, 40% by 2025. That means by 2025 up to 5,400 megawatts or 5,400 megawatts of large-scale renewable energy generation will need to be supported in the state. My role as the Victorian renewable energy advocate is really to get out and talk to communities, talk to companies, talk to other interested stakeholders about how the Victorian Renewable Energy Target Scheme will work, how it will draw on the experiences of the ACT uh, reverse auction program because many of the elements of the way the Victorian government hopes to achieve their targets are drawing on the experience of the ACT uh, as a jurisdiction in particular, but also other uh, other experience of reverse auctions uh, internationally. And my goal is my role is also to provide advice uh, and feedback to the minister uh, for um, energy, the environment, and climate change, Lord D'Ambrosio, uh, to provide advice to her public servants and her department, uh, and to make sure that we are trying to stay on track in terms of the delivery of those very strong targets because right now there's a, an enormous boom that's occurring in renewable energy development nationally. Uh, we need to make sure that Victoria can secure its fair share of the investment that comes uh, with that boom and the BRET, the Victorian Renewable Energy Target, and advocacy and uh, ex explanation of how that target will work is very a very important part of trying to realise some of those uh, outcomes. And so then we're looking at the, the further target by 2050 of a net zero emission, so effectively a 100% goal. What do you see as um, some of the barriers to achieving these targets? I think there are a number of um, very significant issues to work through and not so much barriers as I guess challenges or opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first one that's worth highlighting in terms of renewable energy development is policy certainty. We need to make mm -hmm. sure that we maintain a strong and stable policy environment that allows the significant amount of investment that's available for renewable energy development to be unlocked. So making sure that the targets are clear and unambiguous, making sure that the auction design is well understood by industry, the parameters and the uh, criteria for bidders is well understood, is a very important role because we've seen the damage that can occur in the renewable energy sector when we have policy uncertainty. And I guess that's one of the key uh, roles that I see in the, the position I currently hold um, is to make sure that that explanation task is undertaken and that there is clarity and there is no ambiguity about the targets and how they're going to be realised and how the auction is going to operate. So where are we more up to? Broadly, more, perhaps just to also add, yep. more broadly though, in Victoria, uh, there are a number of other very significant challenges. There are challenges in terms of transmission capacity across the state. Um, traditionally... Uh, as a state, Victoria has built its electricity transmission lines to service where the uh, resource-rich energy generation assets were, which were largely in, as we know, in the Latrobe Valley. Mm. Uh, so uh, when we look at new energy generation, 
like wind and solar, the transmission networks are often very weak uh, and are not designed to send large amounts of solar or wind generation from, say, the northwest of the state down to the population centres around Melbourne. So we need to look at new ways of providing for stronger transmission infrastructure to unlock some of the very significant generation potential that's available in areas like the northwest and southwest of the state with solar and wind respectively. So these are some of the other very interesting challenges that Victoria now is really starting to tackle and come to grips with as this renewable energy uh, uh, transition is underway. Do you live in Darabin? Darabin Council is here to help you in whichever language you speak. If you have a question about your rates, rubbish collection or any council matter, call us on our multilingual telephone line on 8470-8470 to speak with one of our officers or an interpreter. Or you can visit us at our office in Preston, Reservoir or Northcote. Call us on 8470-8470 or come and see us. A 3CR supporter. And you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. Um, we're currently speaking with Simon Corbell, who's the Renewable Energy Advocate, about the Victorian targets and the Victorian Renewable um, Energy Plan. So let's get back to Simon. And so in terms of timing for the reverse auction process, where is the state up to with that? Uh, right now we're awaiting some final policy decisions from the Victorian government on the parameters of the auction program, uh, how it will operate and its timing. Uh, and we, I know that I and many other people in the industry are, are waiting intensely to see those final announcements from government, which we're hoping to see very soon. Right. And so once those decisions come out, how, can you kind of talk us through as much as, as you can, obviously before that, that those announcements have been made, but what's the likelihood of, of the timing and how, how quickly can these things be put in place? I think we can certainly anticipate an auction commencing later this year, consistent with the, the commitments the government has already made, and I think we can certainly anticipate uh, a recommitment to the, the long-term targets of 25% by 2020 and 40% by 2025 and that's a very those are very important signals to send to industry and the community that the government is serious about getting on with the job of supporting renewable energy development so i think that that was those would be fair and reasonable things to anticipate uh coming forward obviously we need to see the detail of how they'll operate what sort of projects will be eligible what will be the split between say a technology neutral auction which will, which will allow all types of renewable energy generation to bid and what specific support will there be for large-scale solar because the government has already flagged that it wants to adopt that type of approach where there's specific support for large-scale solar as well as, as technology-neutral auction rounds. So there are those types of levels of detail that we're waiting to hear uh, further announcements from the government on. Okay. And... Obviously, the, um, the reverse auction is more about generation, but in terms of battery storage and, and other types of, of energy storage, um, where do you see that fitting into the overall plan? Battery storage is very, very important. The capacity to have dispatchable uh, electricity in the system, either for uh, direct supply of electricity uh, to users or alternatively, 
uh, as a way of providing a range of other services that provide network stability uh, is a very, very important technology. And the state has already announced uh, and is currently finalising a tender process to support uh, at least one large-scale battery project, grid-scale battery project in the state, 20 megawatts, uh, to be up and running uh, by... I think it's the end of February next year. Uh, so that's a very, very important commitment by the state, and they put the state government has announced some grant funding to help facilitate that, and those tenders are currently being assessed. So large-scale, uh, grid-scale batteries are going to perform a very important role into the future. But equally, distributed storage at a household level, at a business level, also plays a very significant role, particularly with the emerging smart technologies that are coming out of amazing startups in Victoria like uh, GreenSync and others who are harnessing uh, the capabilities of, of new bespoke software to harness and marshal the dispatchability of a range of energy storage uh, units across a very large number of customers and sell that into the electricity market. These are the types of demand-side response capabilities that we're starting to see emerge in the electricity sector, and they equally are going to play a very important role as we look at how we manage this transition uh, to a much greater variety of renewable energy generation sources, and we shift away from some of the older models, so-called baseload generation, which is obviously generally associated with certain types of thermal generation. Yeah, and we're kind of moving from that centralised intensive emissions model, as you mentioned, to, you know, a cleaner, more distributed uh, model. And we need, as you mentioned, we need to go with, you know, some of those demand management tools and smart grids and, and a variety of those things to make make that all, all play together. Um, we know that a number of other states are already... Um, taking up a renewable energy target. How do you see Victoria sort of setting an example with that or um, where are they placed in, in terms of a national context? I think Victoria is really showing a very strong leadership role. Uh, Victoria is, is one of the, the largest states in terms of population and complexity of its economy to be adopting a very progressive target to achieve large-scale renewable energy generation, 25% by 2020, 40% by 2025 in terms of the scale of the Victorian economy, the complexity of its economy and, importantly, the, the transition and the significance of the transition that's occurring away from thermal generation, from coal-fired uh, generation in particular, is a very, very significant and complex challenge. So Victoria really is very much up there leading the pack. Uh, other states also are starting to do heavy, heavy lifting as well. Uh, Queensland has a 50% uh, target, uh, I think by 2030. Mm. Uh, New South Wales hasn't set a specific target, but is increasingly signalling its intention to also use a reverse auction mechanism to support large-scale renewable energy development. And I should say the same is also happening in Queensland. So since the ACT's experience of a reverse auction program, the next cab off the rank was Victoria to announce its use of a reverse auction program, and then Queensland and New South Wales have followed suit after that. So 
this uh, drive by state-level governments to directly support renewable energy development is very, very important. It's very important because there is no clarity beyond 2020 at a federal level about what are going to be the mechanisms to support renewable energy development over the longer term. States that are committing to targets like Victoria's are going to be in the best position to provide long-term policy certainty to make sure there's renewable energy development in their state and the jobs and economic benefits that flow from that, as well as, of course, the environmental and other benefits. So there is, I think, a very strong role in an ongoing way for state governments to have clear targets, clear mechanisms to implement their targets uh, to make sure we continue to drive down the cost of renewable energy generation and help make that clean energy transition. 3CR, Radio for Change. This station has done a fantastic job of getting the real climate change message out to its listeners in an independent way. For starters, we can and must take the profits from the dying days of fossil fuels and spend them on climate justice. 3CR, Radio for Change. The world should aim at keeping the global temperature increase well below 2 degrees and also pursue efforts to actually limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. To donate, call 03 9419 8377. I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on what's that frequency again, dear? 855. I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. So welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR 855 AM. And we're going to continue our conversation with Simon Corbell, who's the Victorian Renewable Energy Advocate. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, with the lack of... um, of drive from the federal government, it's really been up to local and state governments to um, to push this along. And certainly on this show, we've been focusing on that, and um, that's where we see the action coming out of. Is you know whether it's local governments, you know, developing their own solar farms, which is something we spoke about a while ago, and on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Um, to the state governments driving it, this is where we're really seeing the action is at a community, state, a local and state level. And, um, you know, that's what's got to happen because we're certainly not getting that, that drive or that push from, from the federal level. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it just needs to happen. Where it comes from is um, they've kind of, you know, making themselves redundant a little bit like... In the US, um, I mean, it was a terrible thing to see Trump pull out of the Paris Agreement, but then the states and city jurisdictions have stepped up and look like they can meet those obligations under the Paris Agreement um, without the without the federal, which is which would have been good to have that. But um, he's kind of made himself I, redundant. I agree with that, Aaron, absolutely, and I think uh, it's worth making the point that subnational government action that is action by state, regional, or city government is not unusual in the global context as you've mentioned and indeed it really is I would argue part of a very broad global trend to see those levels of government that are closer to communities 
uh, really seizing both the leadership role and the implementation role to support renewable energy development in their jurisdictions and broader climate change action as well, for that matter, whether it's adaptation, um, for example, adaptation strategies at a city level in particular. And the reason, of course, that sub-national governments are doing this is that, first of all, they're much more accountable and directly connected to the communities they serve. But secondly, they also understand that they can realise real benefits and investment in their local communities when they properly support renewable energy development. Uh, So in Victoria, in the ACT, in Queensland, even in New South Wales now, we are seeing very significant steps occurring because those governments want to get some of that investment and some of those jobs Mm. uh, and some of those supply chain opportunities longer term uh, that come with renewable energy development. And that's why they're getting involved in this space. And even if we have uh, clarity at a national level, even if we have, say, a clean energy target or some other mechanism that gives long-term certainty for investment in in clean energy development, complementary action by regional governments at a state level, at a local government level, city level, are still going to be very important because they are about supporting growth and development in this new part of the economy in a way that supports those communities as well as the broader energy and environmental outcomes that renewable energy obviously delivers. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's what um, advocates certainly know and opponents may be starting to realise that, you know, these these can be huge economic drivers, particularly, well, in all areas, whether they be regional or otherwise. Um, and uh, so there's there's really no downside for, you know, communities that get involved in it. And certainly, you know, in Victoria, with um, what is going on in the Latrobe Valley, it's important that those communities that have been affected, and, and of course any transition will have disruption, um, and we need to, to try to... Um, Preempt the negative impacts of these transitional changes in terms of energy use, and um, I know that the Victorian plan looks at, um, you know, how those communities can be um, be assisted and and um, the necessary skills of, of people to go into these new sectors can happen. That's absolutely right, and a particular focus on the Latrobe Valley because of the disruption that that's occurred there with the, with the closure of Hazelwood. And what's been very pleasing about those conversations in the Latrobe Valley, and I've had the opportunity to participate in a workshop in the Latrobe Valley with stakeholders around what possible directions there can be around large-scale renewable energy development. And it's great to see, first of all, a very open approach from the community there around what is potentially possible, recognising what some of the strengths are, are are of a region like the Latrobe Valley. It's obviously got very strong transmission infrastructure because of the the development of coal-fired generation there over over the last century. How can that physical asset be leveraged to support new forms of clean energy generation as well? So there are those types of opportunities to be pursued, equally recognising the skill sets, the associated manufacturing capacity a heavy industry capacity that exists in the Latrobe Valley, how can that also be leveraged as part of creating a new renewable energy ecosystem? So there are all sorts of supply chain opportunities, manufacturing and assembly opportunities that need to be explored 
and those are the types of directions that I'm very pleased to say are are being actively looked at because of the uh, the transition that's now underway uh, in that community. And obviously, part of your role is to encourage investment. What are you seeing as the appetite for, for investment in these new energy generation, um, whether they be wind or solar or, or other various technologies? Is the appetite out there kind of waiting, or, or how do you view that? The level of investment is, in one word, enormous. The, the amount of investment potential is very, very significant right now. The Australian Energy Market Operator, in their most recent report for the Victorian region in the national electricity market uh, said that in the last 12 months there had been uh, close to 5,000 megawatts of connection inquiries uh, with AEMO. So that's projects looking at the potential to be connected uh, to uh, to the electricity transmission network in Victoria. 5,000 megawatts in the last 12 months of potential connections. That really highlights the very significant amount of investment that is sitting there looking to occur. Now, obviously, not all of that investment will occur, but even if half or two-thirds of it were to occur, then you're talking about a very large level of investment occurring in Victoria. And we're seeing similar uh, levels of interest in other uh, jurisdictions nationally at the moment. Now, partly that's because of the volatility in the wholesale electricity price in the mm. national electricity market, um, the fact that wholesale prices are, are higher and we as consumers are paying those prices right now for because there is a, a deficiency in the overall level of generation that's available. But it's also a stronger signal about the potential for renewable energy to play a much larger role in uh, our, uh, our future when it comes to electricity supply. And that, I think, is the most encouraging signal from the market, and that's why we need policies and mechanisms that that turn that investment interest into reality and turn it into jobs and development in regional communities that strengthen local suppliers, local uh, component manufacturers, local assembly plants, who can not just be well positioned for development in the Victorian market, but be well positioned to help support renewable energy development nationally. And those are the types of opportunities that we really need to work very hard on over the next 12 months to try and unlock. Great. I'll just ask you one final question to... Um, sorry, I don't want to hold, up, hold you up too much today. We're very grateful for your time. The national energy market, do you think that it's still an adequate um, instrument for the purpose it was intended? Or? Uh, it's a very, it's a very, um, very complex question to answer. But I think, in, in simple terms, the the national electricity market um, and the way it's regulated and, and the way it operates has both strengths and weaknesses. Um, its strength is that it recognises the importance of trading between jurisdictions for electricity, uh, and it recognises that, that there are significant benefits uh, to to consumers in terms of competition if we regulate the market well. Uh, its weakness is that it hasn't always lived up to those objectives. Uh, I think moving forward, we need to redesign our, our national electricity market to first of all make sure there is an environmental 
mm. parameter in terms of the national electricity objectives, the rules and the, the principles that set uh, the parameters of the way the national electricity market operates. So having an environmental objective, not just economic objectives, I think is first and foremost critically important. Secondly, we need to recognise that we need much more interconnectivity between national electricity market regions, between the states, between Victoria and South Australia, between Tasmania and Victoria, between the other states, so, because as we unlock Australia's enormous renewable energy resources and to achieve a much higher level of renewable electricity in our national grid, we will need much more interconnection between the different regions and we will need national market operators to manage all those interconnections but we will also need to change the rules to allow those types of interconnections to be built, uh, financed and operated in a way so that when it's windy or sunny in one part of the continent, other parts of the continent benefit from that and that fundamentally uh, is one of the key issues we will need to address moving forward uh, if we are going to to realise an objective of what ultimately must be a 100% renewable grid uh, because that, that is both the economic and the environmental imperative that we face. Yes, excellent. Look, we really appreciate your time today, Simon, and we look forward to seeing your, the role and uh, the target in Victoria continue rolling on towards um, that 2025 and uh, certainly 2050 will be wonderful to, to get to that point and we'll look forward to maybe speaking with you a little bit further down the track when the reverse auction process is more in play. So thanks very much for chatting with us today. Thanks very much, it's been a pleasure. You're listening to 3CR Radio. We're really appreciative of Simon um, taking the time to chat with us today. As I've mentioned, Simon Corbell is Victoria's renewable energy advocate. He comes with a huge amount of experience being the Deputy Chief Minister and Minister for the Environment and Climate Change in the ACT. That was his previous um, role and he was hugely um, really the Chief Architect of the implementation of the ACT's large-scale solar feed-in tariff and reverse auction process. So we really appreciate talking with Simon today about his role as the Victorian Renewable Energy Advocate and the targets that the Victorian government has set in place. So as we talked about, that's that they're going to get to 25% renewable energy by 2020, 40% by 2025, and a net zero emissions position by 2050. Of course, we at BZE think that that can happen a lot quicker, um, but we do appreciate what is going on and roles such as Simon's are really making this a reality. Simon's not the only one working towards this. There's a number of um, these type of roles and, and uh in, certainly in New South Wales, there's a Victoria, sorry, a um, renewable energy advocate, and Queensland and South Australia are also um, putting out plans and moving towards this direction. So I would encourage listeners to have a look at some of those plans. Certainly, if you just Google renewable energy targets for the states, you'll find those different um, 
pieces of um, of information and reports and the like. Some have put out figures. Some, such as New South Wales, aren't necessarily putting figures, but have certainly got action plans, and, and you can look at the annual reports for those. The Victorian um, Renewable Energy Action Plan is a very comprehensive document and goes through a whole lot of variations of... Um, of actions that are going to happen um, around supporting industry, around reliability, grid management, you know, new demand management tools and smart grids, etc. So there's a whole lot of um, of things there. Certainly, there's a real emphasis on supporting communities, and um, you know that goes from. Uh, encouraging things like surf lifesaving clubs to put solar on their roofs um, and there's been quite a bit of, you know, they're really putting their money where their mouth is in terms of um, going towards renewable energy and as Simon mentioned, you know, it absolutely makes sense. There's money to be made here, there's economic growth, there's jobs to happen. So we really appreciate the time that Simon's taken to kind of talk us through certainly what's going on in Victoria and in some of those other state um, state plans that you can you can have a look at. So thanks very much for listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show today. I've been Erin Jones, and I look forward to bringing you another show in the future. It's been a really exciting day for renewable energy in Australia with the announcement of the construction of a solar thermal plant in South Australia and Port Augusta. That's a campaign that's been going on for a number of years, and Beyond Zero Emissions you know, was... Um, a big part of doing some of the research in that earlier and has certainly been supportive of that throughout. And um, we had a chat with, with Dan today to have his um, reaction, and so that, that was great to hear that, and we're really happy. So we'll um, say goodbye and uh, look forward to chatting with you shortly. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, Zero Emissions Exports and Industry, Zero Emissions Transport, Zero Emissions Buildings and Zero Emissions Land Use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au. Or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.